Here we are in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. For you yourselves know, brothers, that are coming to you was not in vain, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or an attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, not with a pretext for greed. God is witness, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made apostles, uh, demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you, like, nursing, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, our brothers, our labor, toil, we work day and night, that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own glory, kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. How many believe today? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How many believe today, though, that when we hear his word, it goes to work? And I don't know where you are in your walk with faith, with Christ, Maybe you just started. Maybe you just got saved last week at one of our Easter locate at one of our Easter services, and you're thinking, "What happened? I don't even understand everything." Uh, you don't need to understand. You just need to know that God is at work in you right now. He started a good work, and He's faithful. He's going to bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful for it. my trust is not in how how well I do, but how faithful God is. And so if you've come to church for the thousandth time and you're thinking, man, I should be more advanced than this. I should be further along this. Give yourself a break. God is still at work in you believers through his word. And I believe he wants to work in you right now at every location. So this is the word of God. Let's ask God to show us what he wants to say to us. Would you bow in a word of prayer with me? Father, thank you for the moment that we have here to say time out life, time out world, time out stresses and concerns and problems and challenges we say you're not in charge problem you're not in charge stress you're not in charge difficulty my God is in charge my King is in charge and we say to you Heavenly Father open our ears to hear open our hearts to receive open our minds to receive all that you want to say to us and help us to see Jesus him and him only in his mighty name we pray and everybody said a big amen. amen god bless you have a seat in the lord's presence waters church we had one fantastic weekend last weekend at all locations what a move of god powerful move of god and hardly any pushback from the fact that i told you lazarus was the disciple jesus loved i'm amazed how well you go with it you're such a wonderful church thank you for being you 
And uh, we also want to just highlight, I want to highlight this, this Alpha class, which Isaiah mentioned up here, and I know our location pastors mentioned at our other locations, have your questions answered. That's why there's a question mark. It's the starting place for people who are on the verge of faith, maybe coming to faith or just came to faith, you have questions. We all have questions. We have questions about evil in the world. We have questions about justice in the world. We have questions about how can I know there is a God? All those questions you can freely ask with a group of people and watch some videos that are very informative and help you explore those realities. Am I getting brighter or is it, is it the Lord is coming? Is Jesus coming right now? Hello, Jesus. Welcome, hallelujah. <laughs> Um, so questions can be answered in a very comfortable environment. We'll feed you for nine weeks straight, and uh, we want to make that available to you. If you just got baptized last week, okay, uh, if, I'm sorry, if you got saved last week, if you got saved last week, it's time to get baptized. Hey, Water Church, at all locations, 71 people came to Jesus Christ at our Easter, at our Easter services last week. That's fantastic. Now, you got to know something about baptism. Baptism is a step of obedience in faith, you don't have to pray about it. You don't have to pray about getting baptized. You don't have to feel like getting baptized. It's like saying, well, I, I don't feel like loving my neighbor as I love myself. It's not about feelings, it's about obedience. That's what it is. And it's, it's a step to say, now I've placed my faith in Christ. I'm not there, I'm not where I should be, but I'm not where I was, praise the Lord. So get baptized, there's baptism classes at all of our locations. And now also one last thing I wanna share with you is that in four weeks, somebody say four weeks. Just tap your neighbor, say four weeks. Just tap them, yeah, yeah, yeah. Four weeks, we've got a Sunday, I'm calling it Really Big Things Sunday, or weekend. Really Big Things Weekend. Some of you remember 2019, August 2019, before the COVID nonsense and all that kind of stuff. Um, there was a Big Things Weekend right here in North Attleboro Waters Church, and I announced that we would start three locations of our church, and we started, over the last three years, we started, um, uh, Guatemala, Florida, T and Tiverton, South Coast, those locations are running the race, and they are, they are moving, man. I mean, Apollo Beach last week, you had 409 people at Easter service. Two years in, 409 people. <clears throat> they went, they grew by 80% in the last year, 80% from last Easter. God is on the move. Headwaters Church, Apollo Beach. Uh, our oldest child, we always ignore Woonsocket here. I don't want to ignore them at all. They're our oldest and most faithful child, the product of your giving and your faithfulness here in North Attleboro. Woonsocket broke an all-time attendance record last weekend, and they are on an upward swing of growth, and they are advancing in the kingdom of God. So good things in there. Um, and Tiverton also, South Coast broke an attendance record. So all over, God is moving at Waters Church. And I'm so excited about that. But we're not done yet. Oh, we got work to do, ladies and gentlemen. I look at my country, I look at my world, and I say, this country needs Jesus. Well, who's going to bring him to them? We got to do it. And so I got a hunger and a thirst more now than ever before to start some things in our church and through you in these next upcoming years. I got a three-year plan. I'm gonna, I'm gonna map it out for you. Come four weeks from now, really big things weekend. And I believe we're gonna see something powerful. God is faithful in big things. I know he's gonna be faithful in really big things and we're gonna take a step of faith and see God use us to bring the gospel to this nation, amen. 
All right, take out your notes. What happened in Thessalonica? Part three. I want to talk to you on the true substance of spiritual leadership. The true substance of spiritual leadership. Take out your notes. Oh, if you don't have notes, as I can see, some of you are just staring at me blankly. Go to waterschurch.guide on your phone, and it looks like this. If you're online, you can go there. And then if you click on today's message, you can go right there, and it looks like that. And you can fill in the blanks <clears throat> digitally. Okay? So I don't know if you've noticed, but I have really gotten um, committed to teaching you the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. There's two ways that a preacher can preach to you. Number one way that is very common in churches like ours, well, actually, there's three. Some of you come from the old style. It's called the liturgy, and some expert in some office in Rome tells the church what to talk about. Uh, that's the liturgical way of teaching you the Bible. Then there are the topical ways of teaching you the Bible. Churches like ours love this, so the preacher thinks, well, what do I want to talk about? I'll talk about this, and so then he'll find verses that will talk about that thing. That's topical, and I do that sometimes, but lately I've just felt like we just need to go verse by verse through the Bible. We need to just address as God speaks. As the Lord speaks, let's talk about what the Lord says. So in our last series, You Belong Here, we went through the first four chapters of the book of John, and now in this series, we're going through verse by verse the book First Thessalonians. And this is why it's important that you have a, I think this is why pastors need to get back to this. First off, there is a serious, um, there is a serious famine of biblical wisdom in churches. Never mind the world. I'm talking about churches. You know what I'm saying? And people don't even know, like, the basics. And then secondly, we got too many preachers that are preaching their favorite subjects. And what I love about going verse by verse is that God's going to lead me to places that I, don't, I wouldn't go to, I wouldn't talk about. But he talks about it through his servants, Paul, Peter, John, the disciples. You know, so we've got to talk about what God wants to talk about. Amen, somebody. And that's why verse by verse going through these books is so helpful. Because when I came to chapter 2 in Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians, I realized that this is about Paul telling this church that he started. This is what true spiritual leadership looks like. And here's why that's important. Now, 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 let's remind ourselves of this series, which we started three weeks before Easter, what happened at Thessalonica. It's about this church that Paul started. How long was Paul there? Does anybody remember from the first week? Three weeks. Oh, good. Three weeks he was there. Church starts. He has to run for his life because they uh, persecute and chase him out, or start a riot in the city. They want to arrest him and pr imprison him. He has to leave. He goes to Berea. He goes to Athens. He goes to Corinth. He finds out from Timothy, who he sent back to Thessalonica to check on the church. He finds out that the church that he started in three weeks is not struggling in spite of their opposition, but they are thriving. And I told you in week one that that church is still alive and well in the modern Greece city of Thessaloniki to this day. 2,000 years later, a church that was started in three weeks is still standing for Christ. Powerful things. And he writes back to this church, the, the letter we're reading right now, 1 Thessalonica, Th Thessalonians, to tell them how he cares about them and what transpired about them and what they now need to do because they are following Jesus. And it's a powerful book. It's a powerful letter. And when he gets to chapter 2, he's like, this is what my leadership looked like among you. And here's why that matters. And I want you to write it down. Our world is starving for true leadership. 
Our world needs true leadership. You want to know what's wrong with the world? Leaders. What is wrong with our families? Leaders. What is wrong with our communities? Leaders. What is wrong with our country? <laughs> political leadership. We are starving for political leadership. Every week gives us a new reason to roll our eyes when we hear what's happening in Washington, D.C. Two senators couldn't even make it into the office we just found out for three months. Two senators, a Republican senator and a Democrat senator, Diane Feinstein in California and Mitch McConnell in Kentucky, could not make it into office for three months. Why? They're too old and too decrepit. There should be an age limit for high office, ladies and gentlemen. If you can't, if you can't get to off the office on your own, then something's wrong. I mean, this is our country. I mean, and then there's, at the top of the pyramid of power is a president who is barely awake. <laughs> our world is starving for leaders, true leaders. Pennsylvania elected a senator who had had a stroke three weeks before, three months before the election. He has been in rehab more than he's been in office since he was elected in November. He can't read, he can't speak and he is elected to one of the highest levels of office in this country. We are in trouble. We are in desperate trouble. I don't know if you understand how bad it really is, but it, this is not normal stuff. I'm telling you, this is a sign that judgment is coming on this nation if we do not repent and seek the God of heaven and earth. We need leadership. Let me bring it closer to home. We need business leadership. I thank God for the spiritual leaders in this church at all locations who run businesses. I don't realize, I don't know if you guys realize how important you are. Businesses have been co-opted by an ideology of confusion. When you have Nike selling sports bras by using a man. A man is the spokesman for Nike sports bras. What kind of lunacy? Bud Light used the same man to sell what they claim is beer. I guess if you're gonna try to sell a beverage that pretends to be beer, you should use a guy who pretends to be a girl, but that's for another discussion. leadership in the corporate world. They're all in on this together, I'm telling you. They're all in on this together to mold you and shape you and lie to you and, dece and deceive you. And, and this is why, because our country's been walking away from God for many decades. And when you walk away from God, you walk right into the welcoming arms of the devil who deceives and lies and, and, and upends goodness and righteousness. Our, our world needs family leaders. We need men to be men. We need fathers to be fathers. We need righteousness in the home. We need fathers to be the heads of your home. Men, if she had to wake you up to get to church, something's desperately wrong with you. You should be waking her up. You should actually wake up early, make her pancakes. Of course, I don't do that, but I'll give it on to you. I'll put, on a, I'll put that on you. It's easy to preach it, amen. But we need fathers. You know what, fathers, you need to do now more than ever, what I'm doing now more than ever? 
I'm getting up in the morning and my knees hit the floor and I pray for my children. And I am praying for my children. I'm praying for, and listen, you know you don't have to wait until they meet somebody to pray for their future spouse. You know that, right? I've been praying for my kids' future spouses since the day they were born. Praying that they will have spouses that love Jesus more than they will love them. Because that's the most important thing. If you're single, you need to be a leader of your own life. Wait, wait, let me back up. Parents need to be leaders of children. Why are children confused? Because the leadership of parents has been undermined for decades. Our world is starving for leaders. Leadership. I think everything hangs on leadership. And, 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 and some of you say, well, good thing I'm not a leader. You haven't touched my, my place of life. You are a leader. If you're a Christian, you need to understand this. You're a leader. Even if you're not the boss, you're still, you still can lead. You can lead when you're not in charge. You can be the low-level employee that has an influence on other people because ultimately leadership is influence. That's what leadership is. Leadership is when you influence somebody else to do and follow what you're following. So whether you believe it or not, you are a leader. When, when we're talking about this text, I want you to apply it to me. I want you to apply it to you. I want you to apply it to your life where you are because you, through the power of the Holy Spirit, can have a divine impact and influence on somebody who desperately needs to know that there's a God in heaven who loves them and Jesus who can save them. We need spiritual leaders. Our churches are abysmal. Our churches are corrupted. They are corrupted either with prosperity gospel preaching, which is that God wants you healthy, sexy, wise, and, and wonderful, and wealthy, or, or, or God wants to just have you conquer your, your dreams and accomplish your purposes. It's all about you. It's the gospel of you, and it totally resonates with me first Americanism. Or our pastors have totally abdicated to the spirits of darkness and are right in league with the redefinition of family, the redefinition of marriage, the redefinition of human dignity, the redefinition of man and woman. And it's like, where do the people go? Where do people go? For truth. We got to be a church of leaders, not just me, you. Leading people through the impact that the Holy Spirit can produce through us to others around us. So you are a leader. Somebody say, I'm a leader. Okay, you've, you've got to know what leadership looks like. And that's what 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 is about. I got five points and then we're done. Number one, spiritual leadership is courage in the word of God. You want to be a leader? Have confidence, courage, and conviction that God's word is God's word. And don't back down. That doesn't mean you beat it over people's heads. I'm going to get to that later, but let me stay with being courageous in the word. When Paul talks to the Thessalonians, he recounts to them what they personally knew of him before he got to them or when he arrived in their city. This is all um, uh, detailed for you guys in Acts chapter 16 if you ever want to get some background, Acts chapter 16 and 17, if you ever want to get some background into this text. And so Paul goes to a church, a, a city called Philippi. He preaches the gospel. He casts out a demon out of a girl. And the people who own this girl, she's a slave, they're mad because she lost her spiritual ability to predict the future. So they arrest Paul and Silas. They beat them with rods. I want you to think about that. They beat them with rods. And they threw them into the dungeon of the prison. 
And we know this story is a great story. They were singing praises. They were singing hymns to God. The other prisoners were listening. Great earthquake. God sets them free. But then Paul has to leave the city. They ask him, get out of the city because we're done with you. We don't want you here. So he leaves. He goes to Thessalonica. And you would think, okay, I'm going to a new city. Same message. But, man, I don't know if I should do the same stuff. I don't know if I should say the same thing. Maybe I can. And I, <laughs> you have to think about this. Maybe I can say it in a way that won't get me arrested. Well, what does Paul say in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1? He says, look at it. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. In other words, we had impact. We had influence. We had leadership in your city, in your lives. Verse 2, because though we had already suffered, already what? They had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi. As you know, he says, this is a personal letter to a church. We had, say it boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. So hear this. Paul does not change the message because he got flack for the message in the previous city. This is courage. This is I will say what's true no matter what somebody thinks about it. They will hate it. That's okay. I'm okay with people hating the truth. But it's not, my, it's not my job to worry about their response to it. It's my responsibility to tell them what it is. You got to have courage now more than ever before. You have to have confidence and conviction. Church, now more than ever before that this is the living word of Almighty God. That's leadership in, in God's eyes. That's spiritual. I'm not talking about business leadership. I'm talking about spiritual leadership. But spiritual leadership will shape your business. Spiritual leadership will shape your family. Spiritual leadership will shape your nation. And, and here's, the, here's the real goal that I believe that our political leaders, our future political leaders could be sitting in our churches, and that's why our churches need to get back to the Word of God. I'm praying for that too, and I, I want you to join me in that as well, that in our locations, in our churches, we will see future congressmen, future principals, future business leaders, future presidents sitting in our church that have been under the Word of God. And they will take spiritual leadership from the church house to the state house. Amen. But it won't happen if we don't have courage to tell people the truth. You've got to have courage with your children to tell them the truth, even if they don't like the truth. You've got to have courage, husbands, with your wives. You've got to have courage, business leaders, with your employees. To, to be a person of the truth who loves the truth and does not change the message does not try to entertain people into Christ. You can't do it. You gotta have conviction. So write this down. Leadership is formed from courage, born of conviction, rooted in Christ. You say, I don't know if I have that much conviction, Pastor. How do I do that? Well, you're getting it right now. You're getting a little bit more conviction right now. Here's what some of you gotta do, though. You gotta stop Netflixing so much and, and start Bible reading. Just, I wonder what God would do in your heart the, with 30 minutes less of Netflix and 30 minutes more of this. Can I just preach old school for you for a moment? How much do you pick it up? How much do you, how much do you love it? Because this is the word of life. You know why people are overweight in our country? Because they, they think McDonald's is food. They do. They don't know what food is. So they eat the wrong food. It affects their body. I wonder how many people are spiritually obese because they're eating all kinds of wrong junk food. 
and they're not eating right. This is bread. This is life. You say, I don't understand all of it. Read the parts you do understand. I always love what Mark Twain said. It's not the parts of the Bible that I don't understand that bug me. It's the parts of the Bible that do, I do understand that bug me. I always love that. You got to have conviction because you've been in the Word. So I'll give you an example. To this day, I'm still learning stuff. To this day. I was in Isaiah 25 last night, and I'm reading it, and I'm like, oh, what on earth? And I just prayed before I went to bed because I like to journal through the text, and I just didn't know what God was saying. So I prayed, God, I, I'm going to be honest with you, God. I have no idea what this is trying to teach me. Went to bed. Do you know I woke up, and the answer was in my head? I, I love that because he will speak to you. The Holy Spirit wrote this book. You have the Holy Spirit in you to help you interpret the book. Sometimes he just wants to know how bad do you want it. Do you want it? Because if you want it, he's going to give it to you. But he's not going to just give. He doesn't throw his pearls to swine. That's what he told us not to do. He doesn't do it. He doesn't give truth to people who don't honor the truth. You've got to honor the truth. Some of you have got relationship struggles you could fi have fixed in a couple of weeks if you acknowledge the truth that God wants to give you. You have financial challenges that could be fixed in a couple of months if you just surrendered your finances to the truth of God's word. So you got to have conviction. But, and so Paul, I love it what he says here. He says, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel what? Those last two words, of God. This is the gospel of God. Love those lines. And when we, when we uh, look at church history, and I love this, we see the bold people won the day. The bold people in history for God won the day. In the Bible, we've got evidence of that. Moses going to Pharaoh and saying, let my people go. And Daniel saying to Nebuchadnezzar, I will not eat your food, and I will not stop praying to my God. And Peter and John on the way to pray saying, we will not stop talking about Jesus. You can arrest us, you can persecute us, you can kill us, but we will not stop talking about this Jesus. Boldness. Bold people win the day. Even if they're hated in their day. You don't know how much of your culture has been shaped by bold Christians. In the 700s, there was a Christian missionary named Boniface. We call him Saint Boniface. In 722, he went all throughout the Germanic world, what is now modern-day Germany. You understand that Germany wasn't always Christian. It was pagan. They were worshiping trees and flowers and birds and the moon. And he went from village to village throughout the Germanic world in the 700s, 700 AD, and preached Christ to the villagers. He came on one particular village, and that village had a sacred oak. They called it Thor's Oak. Yes, that Thor. And they believed that they had to sacrifice a child every, um, every night, one night in early winter to their god Thor at the base of that oak. St. Boniface shows up at the village and says, show me where that place is. He goes to the oak, brings himself an ax, and says to the people, I got news for you. Don't sacrifice your children to Thor because the God of heaven and earth has already sacrificed his child for you. 
And he took his axe out and he chopped down that sacred oak and the villagers thought that it was said that if you touched that oak, that the Thor would strike you dead with lightning. He chopped down that sucker and stood there confidently and lightning didn't strike him and the whole village came to Jesus. When the tree fell, behind the tree there was a fir tree. And he looked at the fir tree and he said, that tree will now be the symbol of the true and living God. That tree never loses its green, symbolizing eternal life that we have in Christ. And that tree's branches point to heaven, symbolizing that we should look to heaven. And I want you to take those trees and put them in your house because God, you don't have to go to God. He has come home to you in the person of Jesus Christ. And every time you set up a Christmas tree, you're living what he preached in that village 700 your life is shaped by people who were bold in the gospel aren't you glad you don't have to sacrifice your children at some stupid oak now some of you kind of want to at times i understand but we don't anymore why because somebody in history was bold for jesus and god substantiated their testimony in the 1700s in england england was a predominantly Christian country in the 1400s, 1500s, 1600s. Well, like every country, they started to deteriorate spiritually and they turned to alcohol, whiskey, and most notably, gin. Gin was flowing all over the country even though it was illegal. It was said in the 1700s in England, every sixth house was an illegal gin distillery. God raised up a man named John Wesley. Founder of, the, founder of the Methodist movement. He'd be rolling over his grave if he looked at his church today. But he went out through, no, no, no churches would let John Wesley preach in their churches. Do you know why? Because he was bold. That's when you know your culture is truly corrupt, when they don't let the bold preachers preach in the church. So what did John Wesley do? He went out to the streets and preached. He preached in the factories. He preached in cemeteries. Went to cemeteries and preached. Many times when he was preaching in the streets, people would pick up bricks and throw them at him. One particular time, he was at the, uh, the river through London, I forget what it is, the River Thames, I think, and, and he was preaching, and they picked up a brick and they threw it at his head. He saw the brick, dodged the brick, the brick hit somebody and killed the person behind John Wesley, and he kept preaching. One day, this is a story that he recounts in his journal, he was riding his horse through the woods and he suddenly realized that he hadn't had a brick thrown at his head for three days. And so he got down on his knees and said, Lord, have I sinned? Have I backslidden? Nobody's throwing bricks at me. He gets back up and some guy that was just listening to him in the listening to him pray behind the bush took a stone and threw it at his head and John Wesley dodged the stone, got back up on the horse and said, praise God, I know I'm still with the Lord. God, give us preachers and Christians and leaders who will give thanks when they're hated for being a follower of Jesus Christ. We got preachers who want to entertain the, the people. They want to get fans and followers. Some of you tell me, oh, pastor, somebody walked out when you mentioned that stuff about transgenderism. I don't know if you should do that. What are you talking about? If they get up and leave, at least they're not throwing bricks yet. Somebody once said to me, you know, Pastor, with all these shootings in churches, just want to let you know the security team's got your back. I said, please don't rob me of my blessing. God forbid it, but, you know, if it happens, I would love that moment to get to St. Peter at the pearly gates and say, hello, how'd you get here? 
I was shot talking about Jesus. Right this way, Pastor Tim. God bless you. Jesus wants to meet you. Boldness. The world needs boldness. Christians need boldness. I want you to write this down so you're aware of this. When truth is preached, people will both receive it and reject it at the same time and in the same crowd. That's what happens when the truth is preached. The truth divides. That's what Jesus meant when he said, do not think that I've come to bring peace on the earth. I've come to bring a sword. I'm going to divide people. Now this culture wants to say there's this group and that group and this group and that group and we've got a thousand billion groups that if you say one thing about one of the thousand billion groups, they will cancel you forever. Because that's tribalism and that's the culture of the devil and that is not the culture of Christ. There are two groups of people on the earth. That's it. There's just two. People who love Christ and people who reject Christ. That's it. And so some people will receive and some people will reject. What does Paul say in 2 Corinthians chapter 2? We are God's aroma. We are to God, sorry, we are to God the aroma of Christ. We smell. And it says we smell two ways. To those who are being saved and to those who are, being, who are perishing. Those who believe and those who don't believe. To the one we are the smell of death, to the other the fragrance of life. That's unavoidable. So, younger Christians, listen, you can't be liked by everybody. You can't be liked by everybody. And I don't know how long it's going to take you, 20-year-old and teenagers, I don't know how long it's going to take you to find out this really, this is a reality about life. No matter who you are, nobody's going to, not everybody's going to like you. So you might as well be devoted to Christ and embrace the people that don't like you for that reason. Amen. Somebody's going to sniff you and say, you stink, and somebody's going to sniff you and say, you are wonderful. Who are you? That's what it means to be in Christ. Turn to your neighbor and just say, you smell. All right, point number two. <laughs> I don't know why I did that, but point number two. Spiritual leadership has a strong accountability to God. This is what Paul unpacks for the Thessalonians. He, he's accountable to God. He knows God's watching. Um, let's look at it here, how Paul writes it. He says in verse 4, But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. Now that word entrusted means that, that there is a sacred trust to the word of God. It is the job of your pastor to, tr to guard the word for you. I've got to guard the word because there's all these kind of false ideologies around Christianity that I, we've got to chop down, we've got to name, we've got to demolish, Scripture talks about, we demolish every argument against the knowledge of God. One of the things, like, for instance, that I'll do on a regular basis is I will demolish, and you hear me do this all the time, good person religion. I'm a good person. I need to demolish that again and again and again because it is America's favorite religion. And it, will, and it will lead you straight to hell. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, he said, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not do these mighty works and do these mighty signs and cast out demons? Did we not? And he will say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, workers of iniquity. Why does he say that to people who did all those works? Because no matter how good your works are, they aren't enough to make you right with God. You've got to 
root yourself in the finished perfect work of Jesus on the cross for you. And, and, and notice that, and this is going to blow some of you away, but you notice that Jesus does not say, I used to know you. I never knew you. There's people in churches all throughout the world that think they're right with God, but they're basing their rightness with God on what they've done for God, and it's never that way. You've got to base your rightness with God on his grace, his mercy, shown to you through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross who has reconciled you back to the Father. Not of works so that no man can boast. We are entru- so I am entrusted. I've got to guard all that to be said. I've got to guard the gospel from false gospels for you. That's my job. You've got to guard the gospel in your own heart. But here's what he says. Uh, we're entrusted by God with the gospel. So we speak. Not to what? Not to, could you just underline that for me, if you would, in your notes? Not to please man. So sometimes I'll say what you don't want to hear. And sometimes I'll challenge you on things that need to be tra- changed. And, 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 and he says, we're going to please God who tests our hearts. Let's talk about pastoral accountability. Some of you come from churches where the board tells the pastor what to do. That's not this church. This is a pastor-led church. I, I lead. And so some people say, well, what about who, who holds Pastor Tim accountable? It's a big question from a lot of people from those kinds of churches. Understand this. If there's a board that's telling me what to do, that's just, there's going to be a dominant figure on the board. You have to understand this is human nature. There's always going to be a dominant figure on the board who will tell the board to tell the pastor what to do. So there's always going to be somebody. I just prefer to be the somebody. Okay, now, now you say, well, what about your account? Who are you accountable to? Who's your accountability partners? Okay, let me just say something. You could have 60 guys be my accountability partners, and none of them know my heart. And I could fake it every time we see each other. You know what my accountability is? The God who tests my heart. Do you know what's the most scary thing in the world? to know that God is gonna judge everything that I've said from this stage. Something that you gotta know about me is before I preach every weekend, I get down on my knees and I say, Father, I submit to you. Say what you wanna say to your people. Get me out of the way and help them to see Jesus. That's why I say it in public too, because I don't want you to see me, I want you to see him. Then I stand up in the authority of the name of Jesus Christ and I say, okay, now in the authority of the name of Jesus, I'm gonna go out and say what you want me to say. I have a, a fear of that, a fear of God that he will test my heart and find me approved. So that's what you've got to see in your life. You've got to understand that your life is not made to please man, it's to please God. When you go to the office, you're not there to please others, you're there to serve them, not please them. And sometimes the serving won't please them. But as long as your heart is, I'm gonna please God by serving them in ways that God approves of, I'm always gonna err on the right side. I go to work, I lead my family, not to please them. I can't please my kids. I can't always please my wife. I can't please my, my, my employees, I can't. I can serve God and please God and serve them. You gotta have that mindset. He is who I'm accountable to. 
Okay, that's, that's where leadership starts making impact where you live. Okay, let's go on. Number three, spiritual leadership has sincere concern in the context of genuine relationships. This one's a, an important one. So as I said before, we're confident in the, in the word of God. We believe that God's word is true, so we're gonna always preach God's word no matter what anybody says about it. Yeah. Okay, but we don't have to slug them over the head with it. We, we don't have to be bombastic. It should come from those first two words that I just had you write down. Sincere what? Concern. I tell you this because I love you and I care for you. When Jesus is walking amongst the people uh, in Matthew chapter 9, it says that he looked at the crowds and he felt compassion. And he said to his disciples, he said, these people, they're like sheep without a shepherd. They're harassed and they're helpless. And the, and the same Jesus, listen, the same Jesus who went into the temple with a whip and drove out the money changers and flipped over the tables and, and rebuked the Pharisees and called them hypocrites and liars and fakes and phonies. The, the same strong Jesus that did that was also the Jesus who wept and sobbed over Jerusalem as he rode in onto the, into the city on the donkey. Here's how one preacher said it. Don't preach like Jeremiah until you've wept like Jeremiah. Jeremiah was the weeping prophet. He wrote a book in the Bible that's called Lamentations. How about that? I'm going to write a book for the Bible, and I'm going to call it Weeping. <laughs> Why did he weep? Because he saw the spiritual condition of people, and it broke his heart. Here's what some of you need to do at your work. You need to ask God to help you see the people who hate your God the way he sees them. So that God will give you a concern for them. They're, they're blind. Let me, let me go back to something about Paul. Paul understood, and this is why I think God chose Paul to write one-third of the New Testament. Because Paul, before he was Paul, was Saul, and he hated Christianity. We, are, we know this, right? He was the guy who was holding the coats for the people who were stoning Stephen in Acts chapter 7. He was holding the coats, and he was like, yep, kill him. Then he got papers to kill more Christians from the leaders and the rulers in Jerusalem. He wanted to kill us. God changed his heart. Jesus intervened and, and became Paul the apostle and proclaimed Christ. Here's why I think that matters. Because Paul, Paul saw Christianity from both sides of the fence. And here's what he knew personally. And some of you got to realize this about the people who don't know Christ that you live with and work with, okay? The thing about the gospel is, the gospel announces two things to the person who has not received the gospel. First, it tells the person who has not received the gospel, you are wicked. You are evil. You are a sinner. And here's the second part of that. This is the, this is the most important part. Your wickedness keeps you thinking that your wickedness is actually rightness. Are you hearing that? Our sinful condition is so powerful, it will convince us that we are right in our wrongness. Some of you parents get this because you've raised kids and you know that that's like, that's like standard DNA programming in children. They think they're right when they are totally wrong. 
It's not their fault, they're born that way. They're, that's, that's humanity. My wife tells me this story, told me this story, I've told this story before, it's just a funny story, but when Jake, our, our youngest, was in the stroller, she was walking him down the street, and he saw a squirrel, and he said, Ma, look, it's a chipmunk. And my wife says, no, it's a squirrel, Jake. He goes, no, it's a chipmunk. She goes, no, it's a squirrel, Jake. No, it's a kid, chipmunk, squirrel, chipmunk, squirrel, chipmunk, squirrel. You know, after a while, as a parent, you're just like, fine. So my wife said, fine, Jake, it's a chipmunk. He says, see, I told you. <laughs> he was wrong. He was wrong, but because he was ignorant, he, was, he thought he was right about being wrong. That's what Paul was. So you gotta realize that people who don't know Jesus, their, their wrongness is so overpowering, it actually tricks them to think they're right even in their wrongness. Have some mercy, because here's the thing. That was you. You were convinced that you were right when you were rejecting Jesus as well. And thank God, amen? Thank God he didn't give up on you. He kept coming after you and chasing you and harassing you and putting people in your life to stop you and make you, make you mad at times and tick you off at times and argue with you at times until the day you bowed the knee to Jesus and the light went on and you realized how wrong you were and how right Jesus was. And he turned your wrongness into his righteousness and now you are right with God eternally. That, that is how you got to see people. So genuine relationships is what it comes down to because what, what does Paul say in verse 5? We never came with words of flattery because that's not genuine. That's verse 5. Nor for a pretext for greed. In other words, it's not about what I can get out of you. I'm here to serve you. Please God and serve you. Nor did we seek glory from people. In other words, I can't use you to boast myself, boost myself up. It's not about me. Then he says in verse 7, but we were gentle. Circle gentle. We were gentle. You know what gentleness and is? There's another word in the, in, the, in the Greek text for gentleness is meekness. Meekness is strength under power, under control. Strength under control. We were gentle. That's what a parent has. Like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous. Look at these words. This is Paul the apostle. This is a guy who's getting beaten, chased out of town, hated, He's like, we loved you. We just wanted to be around you. We cared about you. We want a relationship with you. Yeah, you need that in your life. You need that through Life Group at Waters Church, but you also need to have that kind of attitude with the people who don't know Christ yet. I, I, I care about you. I'm concerned for your life. I'm concerned for your soul. When you're witnessing to people about Jesus, you're not trying to win favor with God. You're trying to help somebody who's lost. That's, that's the most important thing. So it's genuine concern rooted in the context of, it's a sincere concern rooted in the context of genuine relationship. Number four, spiritual leadership has a lifestyle consistent with the message. I don't want to spend much time with this one. This one should speak for itself. In other words, don't be a hypocrite. More, more people say, I don't want to go to church, a bunch of hypocrites there. Okay, okay, now a couple things. First, let's read the text and then we'll get to, well, uh, let me first read the text, we'll get back to that. He says, for you remember, brothers, that our labor toy, we work night and day, that we might not be a burden to you. We proclaim to you the gospel of God. And then he says, he has confidence to say, and you are witnesses, verse 10, and you are witnesses, and God also, how holy, righteous, and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. In other words, we didn't just say it, we lived it. We didn't just say it, we lived it. Okay, now let's talk about, I don't want to go to church because the church is full of hypocrites. Okay. Have you ever been to the gym? 
Have you ever seen overweight people at the gym? Why would you ever go to a gym, see overweight people and say, I'm not going to that gym. There's a bunch of out of shape people there. How can you say you're a gym when you're, how can you say you're working out when you're, when you're overweight, when you're out of shape? Maybe they're at the gym because they know they're out of shape. Maybe the reason for the gym is so that out of shape people can get in shape. Maybe the reason for the church is so that sinful people can be turned into saints of God. Are you following this? Maybe the church is a hospital for sinful people. Maybe the church is a rescue mission for drowning people. You can't ride your boat past a drowning person and say, it stinks to be you. you got to rescue that person. That's what the boat is for. That's what the church is for. The church is not a museum of finished, polished products of perfection. That's what heaven's for. The church is the mission work of heaven to take people drowning and put them in the boat and say, let's go save some other people. I'm just saying, because you're going to tell me that hypocrites are in the church. Well, yes, they are. And by the way, who came up with the idea that hypocrites were religious people? Who? Jesus. The next time a pagan tells you that Christians are a bunch of hypocrites, just tell them, yeah, you know who else had a problem with that? You know who invented the idea that religious people could be hypocrites? You know who came up with that idea? Jesus. It was his idea to call us hypocrites. Really? Jesus? Yes. You might be interested to know a little bit more about him. Amen. All right, number five. Spiritual leadership has an expectation of transformation in those you lead. Leaders expect more out of you. Leaders expect you to change. So leaders are not coddlers. Leaders are coaches who demand more. My junior year of college, I very foolishly signed up for the cross-country team. First time I'd ever been a part of a cross-country team. I affectionately call it the three worst months of my life. (laughs) Getting up at 5 a.m. and running six miles. This is from the pit of hell, I tell you. On the first or third, I think it was the third practice, I landed my right foot into a hole and my ankle twisted. And it was one of those twists where you hear it. And I said to the coach, I can't, I can't run. He said, yes, you can. I said, put it out on ice for a couple of days and you're running. I said, no, I'm quitting. He goes, nope, you're running. He, he got more out of me than I wanted to get out of myself. And I did and I ran and I lettered in the sport, barely, but I did all year long with a sprained ankle, partially sprained ankle. He was a coach, he was a true coach who demanded more out of me. I thank God for people like that. Parents, you gotta do that with your kids. But you will never do it if you want them to like you, if you want them to be pleased with you. Fathers, you need to be fathers and expect more out of your children and lay down the rules of this is what we're doing as a house. And pastors need to expect more out of the people. That's why we're going to do really big things weekend. We're not going to rest on our laurels and just be happy with where we are. We're going to press on. We're going to move forward. We're going to challenge. I am going to challenge you at every location. We're going to go for, for more of God and more of our church's influence than ever before. Because we can do more than we think. That's what leadership does. Verse 11, you, you, you know how like a father with his children, 
Look at these three words. We exhorted. Somebody say exhorted. He says we encouraged. Somebody say encouraged. And then he says we charged. Somebody say we charged. He exhorted, he encouraged, he charged. Exhorted means to summon, encouraged means to comfort, and charged means to admonish. Sometimes you got to encourage, sometimes you got to exhort, sometimes you got to challenge, sometimes you got to urge, sometimes you got to just call out and just say, wake up. Some of you here today, you need to hear that from God. Wake up. What's it going to take for you to wake up to realize that this world is on a collision course with hell? You need a savior. And you cannot just bide your time until you die. Because then the rubber really is going to hit the road. You need to wake up and realize that Jesus Christ is the Lord of life. And he came to save you and rescue you from you. Receive the gospel. Repent and believe the good news. Or it's going to cost you your eternal soul. Some of you are chasing every good thing in this life. Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Some of you are trying to live a life of, of flashiness on Instagram or Facebook and bragging about this fake life because you need approval and affirmation from strangers. What you're searching for is the, the affirmation of a father in heaven who says, I am pleased with you, my good and faithful servant. That's what you need, but you're never going to find it in the world. You got to find it in God. You got to find it in Christ. Wake up and receive the gospel. Some of you don't realize this. You might be a week away from a diagnosis of cancer. You might be a day away from a blood clot. You might be a, heart, a, a month away from a heart attack. You don't know when the day is going to come. You don't know what the mass shooter, where he's going to be next. you got to receive Jesus before it's too late. Let God pinch your heart. That's the best place to be pinched by God. To change, and transform, and become what he wants you to be. I thank God for the people who challenged me. I remember when, you know this movie, Jesus Revolution, about the hippies? I, one of them was my youth pastor. Got saved and radically saved, former pot-smoking hippie, sandal-wearing hippie. Came to our church, became the youth pastor. This kid was too radical for us 12-year-old nominal Christians. Way too radical. He was always challenging us. Always telling about Jesus, talking about the end times, talking about that, you know what? You don't want to be left behind. He used to scare us. Set us down and watch movies, these old 1970s movies, A Thief in the Night. I'll tell you something, the most horrible, scary movies in history scared us into the faith. One day he tells us, here's what we're going to do for youth. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to the mall on Saturday. We're like, really? That sounds good. Let's go to the mall. He's like, yeah, so we can hand out Bibles to strangers. We're like, no. That's not what we go to the mall for. He says, yes, we are. He packed us up, us 12, like 15, 12-year-olds into his van. And, and two cars and, and boxes full of these one little pocket Bibles. He says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to walk around the mall with Bibles in our hands. I'm going to hand them out to strangers. I was like, no, I don't want to do this. I don't want I just want to kind of sit in church and just like, you know, do that kind of stuff. He's like, no, that's not what the church is about. We're going to go to them. So he, you know, bold, former hippie, pot-smoking, radically saved Jesus follower. He's walking through the mall. He's just flinging Bibles at everybody. He's just flinging five Bibles, Bibles, hey, here you go. I'm like, what the heck is wrong with this guy? I look across the mall, I see the prettiest girl in my high school. I'm like, I am running the other way. <laughs> Literally, I'm not kidding you. He says, okay, now Tim, it's your turn. Turn to me. 12-year-old Tim, hand a Bible to somebody. I'm like, no, yes, you can do it. So I was like, oh, fine. I gotta shut this guy up. So I took a little pocket Bible in my hand and I found the oldest, shortest woman in the mall. I remember it was JC JCPenney in the old lady section. 
I found her, she was shorter than me. I was 12 years old, she was shorter than me. This woman must have been like three foot six. I walked up to her and I said, hi, would you like, and I'm shaking in front of this lonely, would you like a Bible? And she goes, oh, yes, thank you. And courage surged into my spirit. I could do this. And by the end of that day, I was the one flicking Bible. Everybody, where's that pretty girl? I'm gonna change it down with a Bible. And the reason why I'm bold in front of you now is because a youth pastor in 1989 challenged me to do more than I could think. And I wonder who's sitting in our churches right now. You don't even realize that you are a future business leader. There's a business up in here. You gotta ask God to give you a vision for it. I don't know who's in our churches. You're a future leader. You're a future life group leader. You're a future preacher, a future missionary. I don't know who's going to the next country that we're gonna send somebody to, but you can do more than you can think because with our God, all things are possible. <laughs>